Hello, carbon-based improviser. Welcome to YesBot. This week's guest is John Creamer. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of YesBot, the podcast about robotics and also improvisation. It's sort of art and technology in a wonderful melange. Uh, my name is Chris Mead. I am an improviser and amateur roboticist working in the United Kingdom. Uh, let me give you a, a little bit of an overview about the podcast. Uh, a, a long time ago now, a couple of months ago, I discovered this derelict robot leaning against a tree in the forest behind my house. When I say forest, it's more of a wood. Uh, anyway, I thought it was a great find, brought it home, tinkered around with it for a little bit and got it working again. It's a Improv Bot 5000, an incredible model that is built to do improv. There are five input slots on its back, five chances to uh, program it to do better improv. Um, when I saw that, I thought, well, I know a lot of improvisers. Why don't I travel around, find the very best improv minds in the world and get them to program this robot for me? So every week I ask another improviser to give me their five best improv rules, the five things that will create the perfect scene partner. And this week I have a very special guest, John Creamer. Hello, Chris. Great Hi. to be here with you. Hi there, John. Um, thanks so much for being here. You are a... Legend, an improv legend, don't you think? I don't think so. Don't you think you don't think of yourself in those terms? No, I don't. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, you're one of my very first uh, improv teachers, and now my teammate. Yes, it's pretty cool. Um, we, uh, I'm very excited to see what you're going to come up with because I don't feel like you're a natural techie person. No, I would say not. You, you're very, you, you look pained. Are you okay? No, I, I, I do have trouble with technology. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we're not uh, easy, easy fellows. Yeah, for example, we just recorded a bit of this podcast, and the entire setup just turned off, didn't it? it Lost did. everything. It did. This is take four, I believe. Yeah, we're just yeah. doing it over and over again. Yeah. Can uh, you edit? Where I said take four, can you edit that out if necessary? Make it take six or seven. I can make on... you say whatever I want. Fantastic. <laughs> um, can I just ask a little bit about how you got into this improv game, um, where you are in your improv journey? How far do you want to go back? Well, how, whatever you want to tell me. Gosh. Um, I feel like there should be a harmonica in the distance. I can put that in. Excellent. So it was 1993 in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I went to see a show behind a New Age and Astrology store on Fifth Avenue, and that was a show performed by the Oxymorons, directed by Louis Anthony Russo, who I consider a legend in terms of being a warm-hearted, positive and supportive director. I was amazed by the show, and at the end of it they said, we can teach you how to do this. Every Wednesday there's a class and it's $5. 
and uh, that's what got me hooked. That got me started. Um, ended up doing the advanced class on a Monday, so I was investing a, a massive ten dollars a week at that oh, point. Wow, I know, I'm really committed to it. And uh, I was then asked to do a show, and um, Lewis, bless him, made sure that he pimped me in that show, and I stepped out. And just got a huge laugh. It was just one of those unforgettable moments. And that was it. The uh, the addiction to improvisation was was set at that point. So I ended up doing a great many shows with the Oxymorons. And then I moved into doing improvised theatre. I did playback theatre with Essential Theatre, Essential Playback Theatre Company of Arizona. Did that for a couple of years and then got bored Came back to the UK in 2001, had no idea what to do with myself and uh, bumped into someone who said, you're funny, why don't you teach the funny stuff you know? So I started to teach short form improv above a pub in Brighton uh, every Thursday, £4 a head, and that was in 2003. £4 a head, so doing the... The conversion maths, that's about the I same. Wasn't, yeah, it was, I was, well, was pound against the dollar then. Dollar, yeah, it was pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. It was probably about $6, you know, the passage of time and that. So it was, it was about in the same zone. And that was that was the beginning of the, uh, from that class, the Maydays were formed. And we did our first show in May of 2004 in the Brighton Festival. But back then we were called the Mayday Players. We had a sort of Edwardian Victorian flavour to us. And uh, Rebecca Millen, McMillan came to the very first drop-in class. And she's still a member today. She's still with us. That's amazing. Yeah. And then it just it just expanded organically from there. And um, intriguingly enough, I'm here currently, we're here at Osho Leela in Dorset, which is where I began, where, where I first began to teach at, as part of a summer festival. Really? This was your first? This is where it all began. Wow. Yeah. So here here we are, 13 years later, still at it. Well, I think that is more than enough experience to program a robot. I think, yeah, I picked up a few tricks over the years. Amazing. So you understand you've got five rules that you're, we're going to uh, program this robot with, and I'm then we're li- going to chat. I'm a little confused, Chris. Sure. Um, I'm programming a robot, not a human, because I would program a robot differently from a human. Right. No, this is a robot. So, so this is a robot. With all of the problems and advantages that happens with technology. And if you want to, as an aside, say anything that would be more pertinent to a human, to a human. I'm sure that our human listeners will appreciate that too. Okay. So for all you robots out there, here's what I would do. Well, I'm, shall I just quickly show you the robot? Do you want to see it beforehand? Oh, wow. It's not as, uh, it's not as big as I thought. No, no. It's uh, this one. I'm trying something new. It's, right. a, it's a smaller one. Right. Some they tend to explode, and I want a smaller explosion if something sure, bad happens. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's obviously inert at the moment until we put these five um, okay, so cartridges we'll, in. So we we'll program it and activate it and see what it see what it produces. see what it does. Yeah. Okay. Rule number one: engage all of its sensors and um, switch off anything not connected to the present moment. Ooh. So I would have as much of its I'm not technologically minded. I don't think bandwidth is the right word, but I would have a mu- as much of its... Core processing power. Exactly. Um, thanks for keeping up with me, Chris. That's okay. Um, as, po- as, as possible 
activated and sensing and reading what is happening now with its stage partner. Will its stage partner be a robot or a human? Well, hopefully it'll be us uh, when we oh, turn okay. it on. Yeah, so it will be the only be... improviser robot. Okay, so I would have it uh, tune into bringing its senses to bear on its human stage partners. So to pick up every sound, subtlety, nuance and inflection imaginable. That would be that would be rule number one. So why do you think performing in the, the now is so important that you've put it right at the top of this list? Uh, because I find for myself that if I'm at all distracted when performing or teaching, then I'm not fully present and I'm not giving as much as I can to what is occurring and I don't have access to all of my facilities. Cool. Mm. I think achieving nowness is so hard. Uh, um, well, I guess it's different personality types, but for me, I live in the future so often, I get mm -hmm. so excited by possibility mm -hmm. that it's very hard for me to to pull back and just be, yeah, now, now it's fun. <laughs> like, Yeah, exactly. Now's good enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I'm liking what's happening now, but my brain is also going, and even more fun is going to happen in a few minutes. And then tomorrow, yes. oh my gosh. Yes. Which, uh, which sort of... It's intriguing the way that we somehow diminish the, the richness of the present against an imaginary future, which, ne which never arrives. No, it extends ahead of us as the future forever and ever. It will always be the future. <laughs> the, the now moment that extends from now until the end of the event horizon of our demise. Of our existence, yes. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Well, let's hope the robot can do that, live in the moment. I don't see why not. That is the rule number one, and in it goes. Cool. Rule number two. Um, I would also program the robot to um, have a very clear channel between what is happening in the now and its memory banks and its reference points of experience so that when it was taking in information from its surroundings and from its fellow uh, human improvisers, that it would recognise that some of these impulses, the things that it would pick up, would spark a connection with something internal from the robot's own experience, mm -hmm. which it would then begin to uh, channel outwards and connect to what was happening on the stage. So uh, in human terms use bits of yourself you you know your own experiences your own personality the way that you pass the world is important in this now moment that we're talking about i i, I think it's absolutely vital to be open to not censoring our own reactions to what's happening to our character on stage right and has that got something to do with some things people feel like they're not they would do in the situation of the scene but they edit themselves because they're improvisers on stage Exactly. I was just teaching a class a few moments ago and I said uh, it's important to improvise as your character, not as an improviser. Mm -hmm. Because in, it's a challenge with experienced improvisers that they use their improv software rather than their authentic reactions to what's going on. When you say improviser software, are you saying that as we become better improvisers, we... We, we there's almost a state that we go into that is not our authentic self anymore that 
just works. You know, it's worked with audiences, exactly. and we just we just let that happen rather than like delving into ourselves anymore. Yes, we can produce what I call vending machine improv, mm-hmm. which is where we have a, a collection of responses that uh, we give to varying situations. So we collect responses and techniques, and we we lean on technique and content rather than taking the risk to step into the unknown and and really see what comes. So and if you press B1, then exactly. you're always going to get a Twix. Even. It, 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 exactly. Exactly. Mm. So, and, and, and we, you know, we all do this as improvisers. It's like my stage partner's angry, so I will therefore be either angry or defensive. Mm-hmm. Rather uh, than rather saying... Rather than sad or frightened or whatever. Whatever my, you know, our own personal habits so are. I am... You know, this is how I feel at this moment. I'm emotionally fragile. Yes. Uh, and I truly am as an improviser, so I'm going to cry now. Exactly. Because that's how I feel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that creates, uh, by its nature, more spontaneous, fresher, more yes. vibrant improv. Yes. Rule number three. Be willing to be silent. Be willing to give space and allow things to happen around you and not have to fill all of that space. And those spaces are moments of opportunity and moments of pure potential. So often uh, some of these robots I've seen programmed are compelled to fill the space with words and concepts and ideas um, due to due to a sense that that's their job is to make sure there isn't a bit of space. And um, so, so rule number three would be leave a bit of space now and then. See what I was doing there? I was just leaving some space. That was excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> just, I like to put these things into action as soon as possible. Fantastic. Um, I, I have nowhere near the experience you do as a teacher, but I do, when I do teach people, I do notice that when there is, uh, when there is silence in scenes, when there are moments where characters just sit together, that that is actually a lot of the magic can sit in that. I was doing a exercise on a car journey and some of the best moments in the car journey and there were four people in the improv car was just them sitting and someone's looking out the window, someone's listening to imaginary music, someone's, you know, eyes are on the road. And those moments, there's still relationship between each of them because they have said things, they're going to say other things mm-hmm. and you can see them processing those experiences and they're they're beautiful moments and we're so scared of that i think on stage absolutely there's there's that sense i think it goes back to our education system that we uh that we need to produce an answer or the answer and that answer should be the right answer and that creates a certain anxiety within us and if we're willing to sit in that anxiety and to be in the not knowing and sense what's happening around us and sense what's happening within us then we can have far richer experiences for ourselves, our stage partners, and for the audience. Human beings sense and feel each other. So sensing is to pick up movement and cues and indicators, and feeling is to actually empathise with the emotion that someone else is feeling. And I've had the experience, and I'm sure many of us have had the experience, and I I call it the sort of uh, the Yale lock moment, where you come home, you put your key in the door, you open the door a few inches and somehow you immediately know what mood the person in the house is in. And there's no logical or scientific way that you can prove that, but you just kind of know, Hmm. aha, there's a vibe in the air that you can pick up. And when we're willing as performers to, to trust that 
instinct and that vibe, that vibe will also be sensed by the audience and felt by the audience. And then we are syncing with the audience at a deeper level. Sync as in S-Y-N-C-H, not sync. Well, it is syncing as well, syncing within oneself. Cool. Mm. And that's another good technological word, syncing there. Is it? I'm just a master of technology without realising it. <laughs> Rule number four. Don't work too hard. Don't overheat. Don't... <laughs> um, don't fritz out. Don't have your circuit boards all buzzing and crackling away all the time. I could put a giant fan in there. You can put a giant fan in there. What that means is that that, that your circuits and everything are running at a sort of high speed, a sort of uh, you've been overclocked. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, I'm rocking it tonight. Oh, no. My brother is really into overclocking everything because he's very <laughs> impatient. So he has a water-cooled computer that he has massively overclocked to the point of, like, you know, almost meltdown. Oh, my gosh. But if you are uh, an improvising robot that's constantly at that overclock point, yes, you can impress people with your rapidity and speed and your rapier-like wit and your ability to make connections. And you will also, at some level, be battering your audience to death <laughs> and tiring yourself out, burning yourself out. So it's important, and I, I think this also needs to be an on-stage and an off-stage thing, it's important to have balance. Um, Mick Napier talks in his book, Improvise, about the importance for improvisers to do things that are not improv-connected. So to have conversations about other subjects, uh, to have hobbies that have no connection whatsoever to do with improv. I build robots. You build robots. I go fly fishing. Um, you do. I do a lot. And um, that balance I find is very important because the realm of, a, of improvisation is fairly addictive. And um, if you spent much time around addicts, you know how boring they are. And... Um, as interesting as your improv is to you, to someone who isn't into improv or to someone who is, it gets pretty dull. Sure. Yeah. So um, don't overclock yourself and, 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 you know, have some downtime. Do something else. I mean, I could tell the robot what. So what would you like this robot's part's time to be? Um, I'd, I'd like it to cook now and then, but, but mostly frivolous recipes like meringues and, and non-nutritious things like angel food cake. So like baking? A baking, baking robot. yeah, but not like a formerly, you know, sort of bake-off competitive robot, more of a sort of hobby. Hobbyist. A hobbyist dessert maker. Yeah. Because I, that has nothing to do with improv. Well, that's a really good idea because we'll have loads of sweet treats around just around a lot of the time. Around a lot, exactly. So you almost said around before and after shows, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, but you see, no, we're already, we, we, see improvisers, we're compelled. We think the whole world revolves around improv. It really doesn't. Sure. It's not that important or interesting. I'm glad that we are putting that into the robot. Rule number five. Don't have too many rules. Because <laughs> it'll, just, it'll just do your head in. And um, I personally, I'm surprised that I went over three. I was just humouring you. Sure. You said five. I've come up with four. Um, and I just think it's very important to simplify things. So I guess paradoxically, rule number five is simplify, have less rules. That's a good one. I think we can only be aware of so many things at once, I would say. Rule number five is have less rules. Rule number five is there is no rule five. So essentially that's just a placeholder that you <laughs> exactly, put in there. Yeah, we exactly. Don't, in fact, I'm not even putting in a fifth cartridge. I am just going to... Just leave it blank? Well, no, I'm put something in. Do you have a blank cartridge you can put in? 
Uh, no, I, but I've got this box of matches. Box to <laughs> shove that in. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Great stuff. Excellent. Well, that is excellent. I've never had anyone waive the chance uh, to have a fifth rule, albeit for a great point. That Don't was a great point to be made. Um, so what happens now is I'm going to flip this robot back over. Okay. I would like you to name it because you've given it its personality, so you should name it. Reggie. Reggie. Yeah, it's alliterative. Reggie the robot. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, there is a small lever on its shoulder there. If you could just pull that, it will come to life and we can do some scenes. Downloading Prime Directives. One, engage all your sensors. Switch off anything not connected to the present moment. Two, have a clear channel between what's happening right now and the reference points in your memory banks. Three, be willing to be silent. System error. Overriding core programming. Pausing download. I must be silent. Deactivating speaker system. Oh, it's really taken the silence thing on board, which I'm glad. Yeah. The series is part of the... I think it's ignoring us. Reggie? Okay. Sorry, for people at home, Reggie's actually turned its um, head away from us as if it doesn't want to. This is awkward, isn't it? That is bad. It, it, has, this done, has this happened before? No, I mean, normally it, it explodes. Oh, no, it did. It did explode. Great. So you're going to have to do another one. Yeah. I'm going to have to build another one. Okay. I'm really sorry to have wasted your time. Well, there you go. My only hope is that maybe... Someone will listen to this and and still think that some of those rules are things Available that they can apply useful. to their own it could improv. Happen. But it unfortunately could for Reggie, Reggie, his story ends here. Um, Hi, Reggie. <laughs> I ask everyone this question. Go on. Um, is there anywhere that people could find you on the internet if they would like to know more about you? Um, I guess the obvious place would be the Maydays website. Mm-hmm. Maydays dot com, I believe, is the website. I think we've also got dot co dot uk. For, uh, you know, just Ooh. massive coverage. <laughs> All the domain names. We've got it just totally cornered. Fantastic. Um, I have my own personal website, which is johncremer.co.uk, which was last updated probably around the time that you and I did that class together in Manham. <laughs> so if you'd like to see a, a museum piece website, uh, you can check my one out. I imagine it's got like loads of kind of animated clip art. No, and it's like... not that bad. It's very static. Okay. Yeah. All on, yeah, well, that's good. I think that's there's a um, website of the film Space Jam mm-hmm. that is still up exactly as it was when it came out, and it is the funniest website. When did that come out? You say? I mean, early nine, early nineties, mid nineties, wow. long time ago. Yeah, wow. it's 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 good fun if you haven't seen that. Um, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. My pleasure, Chris. And. For everyone listening at home, thank you so much for supporting this podcast. Uh, we love. The fact that you're listening in, um, it's great. Uh, if you would like to get in contact, there is a bunch of contact details uh, on various social media uh, websites and such like coming up in a moment. Uh, otherwise, we will see you here next week. Same bot time, same bot channel. <laughs> okay, bye. I just made that up, John. Great. That was it. the first time I said it. Like Batman, same bat time. So I said bot, bot time. It's a different vowel. Lovely. Thank you for listening to YesBot. You can talk to me on Twitter at YesBot5000. Hey, why not join our listeners group at Facebook?
facebook.com slash group slash yesbotclub. You can also email me on yesbot5000 at icloud.com. Your host was Chris Mead. Find him at Mr. Chris Mead on Twitter. The Yesbot theme was composed and engineered by Fred Deakin. Yesbot logo and graphics by Kind Studio. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time.